the birthday of the church. The decorations remind us of the life and the color, uh, the triumph that we celebrated on Resurrection Sunday together. And, and frankly, I, I just like the reminder. The reminder is so appropriate on, on Pentecost Sunday. That day when the Holy Spirit blew into town, literally blew into town, filling the followers of Jesus with the very presence of God himself, and their lives changed. Now, if you remember, Jesus was very bossy with them ahead of time. He is Lord, and so he gets to be bossy, and he told them that they would be his witnesses, they would go into all the world, but that they needed to wait to start until the Holy Spirit came from the Father. And he actually referred to the Spirit as a gift in their lives. So God rocked their world, and he offered no apology for turning their world upside down. It's important for us to remember on this Pentecost Sunday that that God is good, but he is not safe. The Spirit did not come to make us safe. The Spirit came to make us bold to fill us with the presence and the power of God so that we could be witnesses for Christ. And what happens in that process is that we begin to die to self. Man, that's tough stuff. Because, I don't know about you, but I get in the way. It's me. It's concern for me and concern for my space and my time and my stuff and my reputation. And I am just a big problem when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And if you can relate to that, Pentecost Sunday reminds us that God came to to change things, to fill us with power so that we might die to self. As the people of God, we are called and reminded on this day to live lives that reflect the values of the kingdom of God. And you look excited about that versus the kingdom of our world and the values that are are so much a part of our world. And, And I think our topic this morning from our Ephesians text, at least I find especially challenging. In his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, some of you have read that by Pastor Jim Simula. He tells the story of a time in the early years of the church when he said something just impromptu. It just kind of spilled out of his mouth, and it was, it was on a Sunday when they were welcoming new members. And so as folks were standing in front of the church, he said, and now I charge you that If you ever hear another member speak an unkind word of criticism or slander against anyone, myself, an usher, a choir member, or anyone else, stop that person in mid-sentence and say, excuse me, who hurt you? Who ignored you? Who slighted you? Was it 
Was it Pastor Simbola? Let's go to his office right now. He'll apologize to you and then we'll pray together so that God can restore peace to this body. But he won't let you talk critically about people who aren't present to defend themselves. Simbola said, I'm serious about this. I want you to help resolve this kind of thing immediately and know this, if you are ever the one doing the loose talking, you will be confronted as well. And then Symbola concludes the story. To this day, every time we receive new members, I say much the same thing. That's because I know what most easily destroys churches. It's not crack cocaine. It's not unhealthy habits. It's not government oppression. He says it's not even the lack of funds. Rather, it's gossip and slander that grieves the Holy Spirit. Yikes. And I'm guessing that his biblical basis for that statement is found in our Ephesians text that we are studying for these three Sundays. That's where we find those exact words. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, Ephesians is a letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. Actually, it would have been written to churches in perhaps the region of Ephesus. would have been circulated, would have been read aloud, more than likely, as believers gathered together for worship and times of fellowship. It was a church, perhaps a group of churches, that were located in a Roman province, and it was filled with all kinds of people. Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slaves and slave owners, those who were poor and those who were wealthy, those who were somewhere in between. It was a mix of people in the Ephesian church that given the cultural norms of the day could very easily make for a volatile rather testy, less-than-Christ-like group who, apart from the Holy Spirit and His presence and His work in their lives, would more likely reflect values of the Roman Empire than values of the kingdom of God. But as we learned last week, Ephesians was not a corrective letter from Paul, unlike Corinthians or Galatians. But it's a letter of encouragement to to keep up the good work. Paul doesn't want the people in Ephesus to give the devil a foothold. It's an interesting word that he uses there because the, the old word literally means an opportunity to inhabit a place. Paul doesn't want the Ephesian believers to give the enemy of God an opportunity to inhabit a place in their lives or a place in the collective presence of the church. So Don, can we put that first, screen, the first slide up? Be imitators of God. As dearly loved children, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Have you thought about those words this week at all? Had a chance to read through 
This text in Ephesians, I think they may be some of the most challenging words in all of Scripture. It's not a suggestion from Paul. It's not a nice idea. It's a command. Paul is telling the Ephesians and he's telling us that we need to be people who are imitating God. He would not give it if he was not living it himself. He would not give it if he thought that it was impossible for the Ephesian believers to do. To be an imitator of God means, as some of our translations say, to follow God's example. To live like God. What what does Paul have in mind? Well, the sacrificial love of Jesus in giving himself up for us. Paul's thinking is, we need to be imitators of God so that the world can experience the presence of God in and through our lives. And what that will look like is it will look like those who are filled with the Spirit of God, dying to self, laying themselves down for the sake of others. Are you there? (laughs) Man, I'm not. This goes against everything that is in the fiber of what it means to be human. Stand for self. Protect self. Look out for self. Defend self. There's a theme there. Did you hear it? The Spirit comes in and gives us the power of God to sacrifice self in the same way that Jesus sacrificed himself for others. That's Paul's theme. Imitators of God will sacrifice themselves for the sake of others because that's what Jesus did. Oh, and it's so easy. Man. It's a theme important to Paul. It echoes Romans 12. We know those verses present your bodies as living sacrifices. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. And and we all know that the problem with a living sacrifice is that it wants to keep on living and get off the altar. You know, and Paul says, no. We've got to lay ourselves down and be imitators of God for the sake of others knowing Jesus. Paul was convinced that being a follower of Jesus is more than intellectual assent. Simply acknowledging that, that Jesus somehow or another did something important for us. No, no. Paul says it requires a physical response. We are human beings. We are, we are people with bodies. And therefore, it is in our bodies that we demonstrate and live out what we say we believe in our minds. To the Romans, he wrote, in view of God's mercy, Present your bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, he was saying to the Romans, 
if you understand what God has done for you, then live like you understand what God has done for you. Demonstrate it in the way you live. And then to the Ephesians, who we are with in these Sundays, he writes, as dearly loved children, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Same theme. In Romans 12, in our text, in Corinthians 12, Galatians 5 and 6, you find it all through Paul's writings. The exhortations to live out a commitment to Christ are linked with personal sacrifice and laying down of one's life, and they're always linked together with one another. Doing it together is better because then the world gets this visual aid of how the life of God works as God's people, filled with his spirit, lay themselves down and sacrifice for the sake of one another and then, of course, on into the world in which we live. Henry Nouwen once said that we are the beloved daughters and sons of God. It's fun to listen to him say that, too, and to watch him say that with his fun hand motions. We are the beloved daughters and sons of God, and one of the really important spiritual tasks, he says, we have to do is to live a life that is based upon that knowledge. He's right. How we live out the love of God must be evidenced in and throughout the community of believers, and that makes so much sense. Because that's what the Spirit has come to do. Give us power to die to self, to live for the sake of others, which becomes a witness for Christ to the world. The physical body of Jesus in the world today is the church. Do you ever think about that? The physical body of Jesus in the world is the church. His people. We are the hands and the feet and the heartbeat and the eyes and the ears and, and the mouth of, of Jesus. Christ is the place. Christ is the center of the church's life. We are called to imitate him in all that we say and all that we do. So, so how do we do that? We lay ourselves down, and I suggested to you that it starts with the way we think about one another. We talked about this last Sunday. Thinking is really everything. We typically tend to live out what we think, what we believe. And the way that we think about each other will impact our words and actions with each other. And I feel like I need to stop and say, this gets a little heavy, and I realize that it could sound like I am grinding an axe up here. Please know that I really feel like for the most part, we are a delightfully healthy congregation. I don't feel like we spend a lot of time thinking ill of one another. 
that we spend a lot of time uh, being selfish and choosing self over, over others. That, that's the human condition. We are prone to that. But please know that, that this sermon series doesn't come from a sense of, oh my gosh, does Applewood need to hear this? It just comes from a sense of, I felt like this is where the Lord was just sort of directing my thoughts for these three Sundays together. But also know this, that it's worthy of our thought and it's worthy of our attention because we, like the Ephesians, if we're not astute, will give the devil a foothold. And that's what he wants. So that's, that's all he wants. You know, the road to destruction usually doesn't start with a huge explosion. It starts with just giving away a little piece of this territory or that territory. And, and pretty soon, the enemy has just a, a huge stronghold. From foothold to stronghold in the life of a congregation, let's don't allow that. That's why we give our attention to things like this. And so, the way that we think about one another is key. That's our starting point from last week. We must believe, we must believe that each person in our fellowship is here by God's design and is beautiful and precious and uniquely made in His image. It's true. Each person uniquely made by God, bearing His image, beautiful and precious to him, regardless of what we might think. That's God's perspective. And we are easily suspicious and even threatened by those who are different from us. We make assessments of people based on, on their looks and their politics and their lifestyle, and etc., etc. And all of that is about self. I put people in categories that I'm comfortable with. I'm not in those categories unless they're people who I think believe all the right things and do all the right things and say all the right things, then we can share a category. That's, that's safer and that's, that's more comfortable. Unfortunately, that's it's pretty boring and not at all what God has in mind. And so the Holy Spirit lives in us, remember, again, to give us power to die to self so that we can push past those those comfortable boundaries and engage one another in meaningful ways to learn other stories, to find out what has made them the way they are. Think about, and please don't speak it out, think about the weirdest person you know. (laughs) They're weird for a reason. None of us is exempt. Our backgrounds, our families, our friendships, our beliefs, even in... It, it shapes who we are. Everyone is who they are for a reason. So the challenge for us as God's people, even in a small fellowship like this, is to get to know one another well. To learn the stories. Think about the folks who are in this room with you. How well do you know their faith stories? Do you know what makes their heart beat? Do you know what makes them sad? Do you know what their lives are like on a daily basis? Do you know the struggles and the joys, the victories, the defeats? All of those things contribute to us becoming a body of believers 
that is more one and more unified because God begins to work his grace in us and through us with one another. But it all starts with with how we think. In the sovereignty of God, there are no human accidents in this place. Okay, so, Don, can we put up our next slide? Okay, this is our text this morning. It's just a piece of the already very short text that we've been in, but let's stand together and let's read this. You'll probably have a pretty good idea of where this is going after we've read these words. Let's read together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don, let's read that whole thing again. Will you put the the first one back up? It's so short. Can we do it again? Here we go. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Okay, wait. Did you hear that? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. All right, here we go. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Oh, sisters and brothers, this is God's word for us this morning. You sound really enthusiastic and thankful for that. Go ahead, be seated. Thanks be to God. Say it, Sharice. Thanks be to God. Pointed and powerful words, brothers and sisters. Pointed and powerful. Okay. Next slide. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Those last words that we read. I want you to talk with your neighbor just for a couple of minutes. What do you think that statement means? And how does it make you feel? That's an important part of the question. How does it make you feel? What do you think that statement means and how does it make you feel? Go ahead. Ask your neighbor what they think. Okay, I hate to interrupt. There's a lot of energy in here. This is fun. Let's spill some of that energy out here. Let's, let's hear what you're, what are you thinking? What'd your neighbor say? Always blame it on your neighbor. Okay? What did you hear? Who wants to start us off? Oh, Sure. Absolutely. Good, honest expression. It's true. It's true. It's, it's, it's how we operate. Sometimes way too easily. Laura, go ahead. Okay. And saddening to you? Good. I like the perspective. What else? Someone else. Yeah. Yeah. It lends a seriousness to it, doesn't it? To think of ourselves as officially belonging to God, official documents of God, on our way to being delivered into his presence, if you will. 
But then the life is still there in the spirit. Yeah, it's just that kind of that juxtaposition. Interesting. Interesting. Anyone else, Zach? Doesn't it suddenly make our inconsistencies as followers of Jesus a whole lot grander in their scope? They really are. You know, it's, you know, just, you know, the little things, how can they really matter? They do. His spirit filling us. It's interesting because we, we long, I think, often for, for greater intimacy, you know, and <clears throat> so we look, for, we look for books and tips and keys, you know, to, to intimacy with God. <clears throat> I think remembering that the Spirit of God lives in us is, is the key to intimacy with God. God has initiated intimacy with us. He has come to indwell us. That means we're intimate. And so then it becomes a matter of living into that intimacy, you know, being reminded of what the scriptures teach us, of what that means to be children of God and to be recipients of a love that, that is constant no matter who and, 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 and or no matter what we do or who we are in those moments that we wish we weren't. It, we, are, we are intimate with God because his presence lives in us. Are we pursuing a life that demonstrates access to that, if you will. Does that make sense? Am I, am I saying that correctly? The Spirit lives in us. It's so interesting that, that the word that, that is translated grief or to grieve the Spirit, it literally carries the idea of sorrow and sadness. It can also mean to offend. So Paul is saying here to the Ephesians in the second step of what does it look like to be imitators of God, he's saying unwholesome talk grieves the Holy Spirit. It makes the Spirit sad and it offends the Spirit who lives in us. Laura, a little bit like you know, the idea of, of that, you know, exposing the Spirit to, to that sin in our lives. We need to think about these words that Paul uses in relationship with one another. That's the context. How do we speak with one another? How do we speak about one another? That's the immediate context. Just a little further into chapter 5, Paul uses the word that is translated profanity. There should be no profanity among you. But here, in this text, he's using a different word. Some commentators would want to see this as like obscene language or profanity. That certainly comes into it. But the word that is used here that Paul uses that we translate unwholesome is a word that is used in ancient literature for spoiled food. Specifically, spoiled fish. You ever smell spoiled fish? Some of you don't like the smell of fish, just period. When it's spoiled, it's really bad. That's what Paul is saying here. Words that stink, words that are rotten, words that smell bad. Who wants those? And more specifically, Paul exhorts us to speak not those words, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs and benefiting those who listen. 
I think that's what James had in mind when he wrote about the power of the tongue. Let me just read probably what are familiar verses from James 3. He says, you know, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The power of the tongue, James says in that text, no one can tame it. He says we tame all kinds of animals and ships are directed through the ocean with a small rudder. But we've got this thing in our mouths called the tongue that is like a spark that sets an entire forest on fire. He says no one can control the tongue. If they did, they would be a perfect person. But what James and Paul both understand is that when the Spirit of God comes into the person's life, He offers them the power that is necessary to control their tongue. So, I just want to offer you a principle this morning that I think gives us guidance in being people who who build others up and benefit those who hear us speak. I want to be more specific about that next week together. I want to, I want to talk about what does it mean to, to build others up? What does it mean to benefit those who, who hear us speak? And, and I want to include in that conversation something that Paul says a little bit further into, er, previously, excuse me, not further, but in chapter, I think it's four of Ephesians, uh, where he talks about speaking the truth in love. I think that's a misunderstood statement. And I think sometimes it's used as a weapon to vent something that we feel strongly about in someone else's life, <clears throat> but yet we, we cloak it in, oh, but I, but I love you. I'm speaking the truth in love. We're, we'll, we'll talk more about that as well uh, next Sunday together. The Spirit came to give us the ability to witness for Jesus in everything that we say. If you are like me, I hear the word witness, and I think speaking out about Jesus, speaking out for Jesus, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And, and truly, that's an essential part of what it means to be a witness. Witnesses speak about what they have seen and, and what they know, what they've experienced. That's the definition of a witness. But the Spirit also gives us the ability not to speak. Not to speak. Any of you ever remember the, uh, the Disney movie, Bambi? Remember the thumper rule? Does anybody know it? Go ahead, Sharice. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything Yeah. Actually, thumper says, if you can't say something nice, then don't say nothing at all. The Spirit gives us power to speak and not to speak. Good biblical advice from a Disney character. If you can't say something nice, then don't say nothing at all. One of the things that I've noticed, and I think Sharice would agree with this, about healthy families is that they can laugh a lot together. 
They can talk about anything together. And they can also talk about anyone together. And in our experience, we've had conversations where family members are talking about other family members and and sometimes it was not something that encouraged or blessed or or lifted that individual up, even said in fun. I think we need to be very cautious about what we say about others. Not only what we say to others, but what we say about others. I think most of us are probably uh, proper enough uh, not to say, at least intentionally, unkind things to one another. But it's not unlike us as human beings to talk about others in their absence. Can you relate to that at all? Paul says that we should be a people who, who speak things that benefit those who hear us and encourage or bless or benefit those who listen. So there's sort of a, a, a twofold challenge there, the words that we speak to people. Do we make those words about ourselves or do we seek to speak into their lives words of encouragement and blessing? And when others are absent, what do the people in our presence hear about those? You know, it's, it's the challenge of, of gossip, the challenge of, of, of talking down others who, who are not there. Even sometimes in our efforts to encourage and empower, we can say things that are more tied to how we feel or making us feel better about ourselves for saying these things. I think there's a helpful question in understanding the Spirit giving us power to speak and not to speak. And it's this. Why do I want to say this? Why do I want to say this? There have been so many times in my life when the Spirit brings something into my mind as I'm in conversation with someone else and I realize that, oh, this may be going in a direction that is not helpful or beneficial or a blessing. And the question is, why? Why do you want to say this? Who is this about? Is this a blessing for someone else? Is this what you were about to say, honoring to God? Is it lifting up a brother or a sister in Christ? My brothers and sisters, I want us to be sensitized to the truth there, that there's often much that we, that we might say that just doesn't need to be said. Period. Starts with what we think about people. Do we prayerfully consider 
brothers and sisters in Christ, made in the image of our God and loved and precious to him, how do we speak of those people? So there's a lot of negatives that we can talk into people's lives, talk about with others. And I'm not going to stand here and give you a list. I'm going to trust that you will take this to the Spirit of God and and ask Him to speak into your heart and your, your life, and He will. Those persons, those things that you say about those persons that that just don't bless them, that don't benefit them, that don't lift them up, that don't honor Jesus in those words. May the Spirit of God sensitize us to the power of words. Oh my goodness, just ask anyone who works at Royal Family Kids Camp. And the time that we spend with those precious kids, their lives have been devastated by harsh words. Harsh words. Words that that should never be spoken to, to anyone. The power of words. I think that's one of the the amazing thing that separates us from the animals. We have words, and with words we communicate love or condemnation, acceptance or rejection, blessing or cursing. Words are powerful. So, next week, a bit more on words that bless and lift up and encourage. I think we all know words that don't do that stuff. So praise team, as you come, I want to read a story for us as we close this morning. It's just a quick one. I didn't know whether or not I should read this. It is such a powerful story, but it says something about words and causes us perhaps to think about the significance of the words that we communicate to persons in our lives, to brothers and sisters in Christ. It comes from a Sunday school ministry years ago in the part of New York City. At the time, that part of New York City was, was rated as the most likely place to get killed in New York. Pastor Bill Watson was the leader of this church and this ministry. Uh, he, he had had many just narrow escapes with with death in in the city, in that ministry. He says, one day, one Puerto Rican lady, after coming to know Jesus in our church, she, she came to me with an urgent request. She didn't speak a word of English. And so she told me through an interpreter, I want to do something for Jesus. Please help me do something for Jesus. He said... I don't know what you can do. She said, please, let me do something. Okay, okay then. How about if I put you on a bus? You can ride one of our buses every week and just sit with kids and love kids. He says, she did it. Every week, she rode a different bus. We have 50 of them. And she loved the children she would find the worst-looking kid on the bus, put him or her in her lap, 
and whisper over and over the only words that she learned in English. I love you. Jesus loves you. After several months, she became attached to one little boy in particular. I don't want to change buses anymore, she came to me and said. I want to stay on this one bus for this little boy. The boy didn't speak. He came to Sunday school every week with his sister, and he sat on the woman's lap, but he never made a sound. Each week, she would tell him all the way to Sunday school and all the way home, I love you. And Jesus loves you. One day, to her amazement, the little boy turned around and he stammered, I, 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 I love, love you too. And then he put his arms around her and gave her a big hug. That was 2.30 on a Saturday afternoon. At 6.30 that night, the boy was found dead in a garbage bag under a fire escape. His mother had beaten him to death and thrown his body in the trash. <sighs> Pastor Bill Wilson says, I love you and Jesus loves you. Those were some of the last words that little boy heard in his short life. And they came from the lips of a Puerto Rican woman who could barely speak English. Oh, my friends, our words have such power to give life, to take life. Let's be people who are listening to the Spirit for the ways in which words that take life no longer come from our mouths. We give life, we bless, we encourage, we love. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Amen.